This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the manly, manly Warthog Man Cave here in the piney woods of North Central Florida. And uh, we are warming up a little bit here. May I be the first to tell you that? And hopefully I'll be able to uh, um, provide optimistic weather forecasts, at least for our part of the country. Uh, we'll see how it goes elsewhere. And uh, I'll report on that at the bottom of the hour. Well, 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 I titled today's show The Big Payback. And I'm looking for myself right now somewhere, some way. Uh, there I am. By golly, I do exist. So, uh, but I'm not sure I'm getting what I need. All right, all right, all right. I hear you. I always have to go through. I'm sorry. I apologize. I have to go through these things in the morning trying to find myself here somewhere in, in the intergalactic, outer galactic of, of uh, video land. So let me try one more thing here to see myself. See myself there. Okay. Anyway, uh, good morning. I'm um, here with you. And the story today is the big payback, which I'm going to get to before long and uh, let you know what that's all about. It's um, a little bit of a, uh, I'm lagging behind in my screen here a little bit. I'm not, I'm not sure why um, I'm doing that. Now, production, can you tell me why I'm a little bit behind myself here? Um, I'm looking and my, my, I'm not in sync with my own voice here as I'm looking at myself. Uh, and I'm, and I may be on the wrong, I may be on the wrong deal here, but anyway, uh, we'll keep talking. We'll keep talking and, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make it work. I'll figure it out halftime probably here. I'm not too far behind y'all on time. Well, 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 uh, you know, locally, I got a couple of sad things to report to you. I think they're kind of sad, and that is that a uh, there was a shooting in Alachua County on Martin Luther King Day, and uh, the Gainesville police say that uh, someone drove up to a boys and girls club. Now, that's what really kind of bothered me uh, that it occurred at the boys and girls club. Um, that 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 you think would think be sacrosanct. I mean, you would think that. People would be able to trust uh, a place like the Boys and Girls Club for, um, you know, some sort of cure place for the children to go and, and, you know, build positive experiences and things of that nature. And yet where we are now is uh, not anywhere um, near that when we start having shootings in Alachua County at the Boys and Girls Club on Southeast 4th Street. Now, I, I, I'm... I don't like to say this, but the address is East Gainesville, Southeast 4th Street. And um, this is one of the things that gets into the psychic of people who 
don't want to go business-wise to East Gainesville. I mean, it's just every time one of these instances happen uh, in the east part of town, uh, it just drives away uh, people who might think of putting, say, a big box store or even uh, um, a grocery store or something of that nature. They just say it's just not worth it. It's, more, it's, not, uh, it's not where I feel secure with my investment. So um, the suspect who did the shooting, according to the WCJB report, fired at several people. And um, that, that's even more disturbing. I mean, it's not like just one uh, altercation between the suspect and the victim. It was the suspect firing away at several people. And this is, um, you know, I mean, I'm going to cover this today. I'm going to cover the whole progressive ideology about the thin blue line. And we're going to get into a story about this. I'm, I'm sorry to have to report it. But that's that's the way it is working out uh, as we watch the progressive try to run these governments. In Fort Pierce, Florida, uh, there were eight people shot yesterday on Martin Luther King Day during an MLK Junior Day event. And one of those victims is in critical condition. Uh, evidently, the victim in Alachua County is in a, a non-threatening, life-threatening in, uh, injuries, but nevertheless shot. But the uh, one victim in Fort Pierce is in critical uh, condition when eight people. Now, when you say in Alachua County, several people were shot at, there's probably eight people that were shot at there, not hit. But in Fort Pierce, shot at and hit. Um, the St. Lucie County Sheriff's Office confirmed all the victims in the early evening shooting were adults. Now, the shooting occurred at a place called Lewis Ellis Park at 5.20 p.m. during an MLK car show and family fun day. It had more than a thousand people there. Now, none of this is good PR for anybody who wants to vouch or advocate for minority minority, um, I don't know what really the word would be, dignity, uh, acceptance, I suppose. So multiple people were shot in Fort Pierce. And, um, you know, somehow there was a disagreement. Now, most disagreements you would think would be solved in some sort of fashion that didn't involve guns. Now, I promise you, this, this article doesn't have anything in it about it. This is reported by WPBF-TV in Fort Pierce um, about whether those guns were indeed owned by people, used by people who had gone through background checks and all the appropriate, and it has nothing in the article yet, and may never, to talk about who among all these were felons and had rap sheets and shouldn't have been there in the first place, but were, God knows how, out of the judicial lockdown and out into the streets. Um, four people, including a child, sustained non-life-threatening injuries. Um, there you go. You've got the innocent people caught up in this. It was mass chaos, according to WPBF, uh, according to the police reports, the St. Lucie County Chief Deputy Brian Hester, 
mass chaos, thousands of people at the event. And when the shots rang out, people just started running in all directions. I say were stampeded in all directions. Um, the uh, people ducked and, of course, ran, hid behind cars. Um, women were clutching their babies. Uh, this was supposed to be, well, of course, it's on MLK Day. So that's supposed to be a kind of day of uh, relief from the turmoil. But here we go. Um, and the event itself was supposed to be one of peace and equality. Okay. There's that word again. And it resulted in the use of guns and violence. And that is not good PR. Certainly not good PR for the MLK. I have a dream speech and his life and what he tried to stand for. But it's also, as I say, not the best media story you want, particularly on that day. So we have this going on in Gainesville. We have it really going on all over the country. And I will flesh that out a little bit more for you. Now, if you want to kind of uh, uh, talk about where this is coming from, um, you can really kind of trace it back to Obama. When Obama, if you remember, hauled the police and hauled the, uh, uh, the homeowner up to a, a beer in the garden, uh, kind of, uh, oh, what can I say, high diplomacy um, negotiations. You remember all that theater that Obama did when the cops saw the black gentleman trying to get into his house. He didn't have the key. And they came up and assumed, according to Obama, that he was breaking in. And there, of course, the story and its details are going to get murky. But it became perfect fodder for political theater. And Obama used it. And uh, and uh, began to uh, take, make the point that, see, 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 I told you all along that the police were uh, not your friends and that they, they were people you needed to be wary of. And this sort of started or accentuated or really gave a license to people in the streets to begin to disrespect the law. Now, and the people who were the people on the streets who enforced it. Now, this is not just one event that has been ushered in. Really, you can chronicle it with the advocation or the start of, of, uh, of Obama. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of something called the don't tells. The don't tells uh, is, a, is a kind of a political force that has come about. And um, uh, I've just learned about it recently that it is an actual organization, and it stands for "Don't Tell Me What to Do." And uh, they have been—they, you know, we've had the Tea Party form, and at one point the Tea Party was pretty darn effective. Um, the, but you know, then Obama sicked the uh, IRS on them, and uh, that began to shut them down. And um, I think her name was Lois Warner, if I recall. Uh, she's still drawing a paycheck. She took the fifth. Um, you know, the double standard began then, really, in many ways. Um, the don't tell stand in, op in defiance of the oppositional defiant disorder. 
An oppositional defiant disorder is an actual medical term. Uh, the John Hopkins medicine world describes oppositional defiant disorder as a behavior disorder, which often are in children, and the children are uncooperative, defiant, and hostile toward peers, parents, teachers, and other authority figures. Um, so uh, the oppositional defiant disorder is what has been superimposed over the conservatives. And it runs all the way through the culture right now in this big culture war that's going on in terms of who's going to control the narrative. And Obama understood the importance of controlling the narrative, so much so that he hired a professional narrative writer to present the press releases to the press, which the press then sort of copied down and cheated off of. But this has resulted in many things that are now undergoing a sort of backlash with the don't tells. In other words, don't tell me what to do. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the progressives have, have you, know, you know about this, no paper straws, uh, you can't say master bedroom. You know, I'm just gonna hit some of the high points, master bedroom, because if there's a master, then it infers, does it not, there has to be a what? A slave. And you know, that violates all of the diversity, equity, and inclusion. That is the biblical mantra, if you will, the religious mantra for the progressive left. Uh, you can therefore even let it, uh, a six foot tall uh, in, uh, um, a man win the NCAA women's swimming meets. Um, and call it a woman. Uh, and, the, uh, and, the, and the don't tells are trying to push back against this. Uh, tea partiers, as I said, once upon a time, uh, um, they were the force against this stuff. Then of course came the redheaded MAGA hats with uh, Make America Great Again. And boy, that has been a fighting symbol. People who wore those hats found themselves slugging it out in restaurants and everywhere else where somebody dare wear that hat. And the fight wasn't started by the person wearing the hat. It was started by those who feel that you really are demonstrating oppositional defiant disorder. In other words, if you wear a magma hat, or if you're a tea partier, or if you dare to use master bedroom or a paper straw, you really are guilty of oppositional defiant disorder. And uh, this is a sickness, you see, uh, that uh, you need to be uh, um, you know, aware of and we need to deal with as uh, the progressive left. So there, uh, there are, this thing is growing and has kind of a name to it that is in resistance to being dominated uh, by the progressives. Now, we know that the progressives generally come from big cities. We're eat up with them here in Gainesville. Uh, every single person on that chamber, or on, well, maybe the chamber, because the chamber knuckles under, um, unfortunately, um, um, every single person on that Gainesville City Commission is a progressive, and some more progressive than others. And they like to tell you what to do. They like to tell you who can come and go in their meetings. Uh, we even have the communist commissioner who told a, a citizen that, I don't know why you're still alive breathing our air, or words to that effect. Um, 
it's it's really kind of out of control in a lot of places. In New York, there's a ban on large sodas. In San Francisco, there's a ban on Happy Meals. Um, so the progressive wing of the Democrat Party is basically full of authoritarians. And uh, there are a lot of uh, analysis starting to creep into the uh, narrative of the media. The Wall Street Journal, for example, with this one I'm alluding to, a couple of more with Washington Examiners, which I have here in notes in front of me. Uh, you can do a kind of a panorama of news outlets as I do and get a kind of sweeping feel, perhaps, particularly with this deal with uh, classified documents in Biden's Corvette garage, they're beginning to smell a rat, some of them, and they're beginning to get bold enough. Of course, there's a notion behind this. A lot of people think that the Democrats are actually putting the press up to writing these stories because they don't want Biden to run again for president. Biden's own people might be leaking these stories to keep him from running again, make life difficult for him. Now, there have been some people, notable people, rebel against this. Elon Musk is one who just pulled out of, of course, uh, California and locked down his factories and moved to Texas. Um, also, there were about 340,000 people who left California last year who just couldn't take it anymore. Um, in, in Florida, uh, the don't tell hero, uh, don't tell me what to do hero is Ron DeSantis. And I'm just gonna give you a little bit of, of, of what's happening to him now as he becomes more and more perhaps a viable candidate for the presidency, you're going to see more and more articles written about him slamming him. And I'm gonna go over a couple of them with you before the show's over. But there's a real clear kind of a, well, I wouldn't say it's a slam dunk, but there's a growing um, feeling that there's going to be a fight for these don't tell swing voters in 2024. Uh, some of them will be Democrat, independent, and they will be swing voters, and they will have been told uh, what to do uh, here in Gainesville. They'll be told what to do with uh, the, the, the rent Nazis who will come in and tell you uh, you can't rent your own private property home if I don't like the way your toilet flushes, things like this. I'm serious. We're going to get into the attack on the gas stove a little more deeply today. At Stanford University, which thinks it's the be-all and end-all of everything, they've provided their students with a list of forbidden words. It's called the Elimination of Harmful Language Initiative. Okay? Well, let me say it again. The Elimination of Harmful Language Initiative. And uh, it's, uh, it, it, <laughs> it's really, really, really uh, uh, serious there. And they, they, do, they do have word police, even though, of course, uh, we have all sorts of constitutional guarantees. Um, you know, they can claim, I guess, and they can't understand why uh, anybody would uh, uh, be a don't tell when they obviously, um, if they're a don't tell, they really are oppositional uh, you know, uh, disorder big person. Uh, the don't tells, of course, hate the thought police and the progressive are the thought police. So uh, if you come across that term, uh, you, you might recognize what it's about. Um, the, the, the attacks on DeSantis have ramped up. I just wanted to cover a couple of them with you here. 
before we uh, 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 slip away here uh, and forget what this is all about. Uh, there's a guy called Ian Milhice. He writes for a publication, an online publication called Vox. And if you check him out, he's a graduate of Duke and uh, he's a, he, he is championing liberal causes. Um, that is his bailiwick. He likes liberal causes. Uh, just so it's clear, I, I'm not about liberal causes or liberal causes. I'm about the truth, just getting the truth out there as best we can. Um, and so you will be able to go somewhere and find, uh, if, if the liberal cause is a good one, I will go along with it. Uh, there's been a study out now about journalists uh, that they are among the most distrusted groups in the world. You know, it used to be the car dealers. The car dealers used to be the standard joke. You can't trust a car dealer. I've never been met a poor one, by the way. You can't trust a car dealer. And, um, you know, he'll always get the best of the deal. He'll rip you off this, that, one, and another. And, and you know, you just can't uh, ever win. But now it's really the journalist. There's uh, something called the Eidelman Trust Bar uh, Bar Barometer. And uh, this, uh, you can check this out. It found that over two thirds of respondents to its inquiries worried that journalists and reporters are, quote, purposely trying to mislead people by saying things they know are false or gross exaggerations, end quote. I'd have to count myself among those. When I read through the media, uh, I don't see much that is uh, not either grossly exaggerated or deliberately misleading. In fact, when I see people, when I talk with people who have an opinion, and I, if I engage in a conversation with them, I will usually begin by saying, where did you get your opinion? And they will say they read. And I said, well, where did you read? And uh, if it's something out of the media, I immediately tell them, well, you, you, don't, you didn't get the right information. And they, they look at me like, well, what are you talking about? Um, because they don't, they don't know enough to know what's right and wrong. Um, you can't. It's like my friend who was the butcher. I told you that story. He said that uh, when a lady came into the butcher shop and looked through the glass at the steak and it had a little green spot on it, she would ask uh, him, Mr. Butcher, what is that green spot on that steak? And he said he knew as soon as she asked uh, that she didn't know the right answer. So he was free to tell her anything he wanted to tell her. And there you go. They all have, that cow ate a lot of grass or something of that nature. He was sort of joking when he told me the story, but he sort of wasn't. And he was using it as a demonstration of how people, most people not only don't know when they've been given the wrong answer, they don't know when they've been, when they ask the wrong question. And I've experienced this many a time when reporters were interviewing me. Um, when I was interviewed by this hotshot New York Times reporter, I, I realized that he was fishing and trying to lead me to say things that would agree with his pre point of view he had before he even started talking to me. And indeed, when the article came out, I was very uh, a small part of it, 
because most of what I said would not support what he set out to advocate for. So he wasn't a really, really interested in my opinion. He was only in conf- interested in confirmation of his opinion. So this Eidelman Trust Barometer has found that over two-thirds of the respondents uh, think that journalists and reporters are trying to mislead them by saying things that the reporters and journalists know are false and gross exaggerations. Um, the one I have found that most reporters will cram into an article, uh, whether it goes or not, is, is the race card. They will cram that in there every single time they can. And everything comes down to race. And, uh, you know, it's particularly when you get the liberal papers. Um, the the uh, percentage was highest among the groups, uh, even 1% point above government leaders. Uh, they don't, the people, the respondents, don't trust the government leaders either. And we know that from having Ted Yoho as a guest on Wednesdays. Uh, no, you can't trust the government leaders. They're not much better than the journalists. In fact, we know that Obama played the journalists and then the government leaders got their opinions indirectly from Obama through the journalists. And then they tried, the government leaders, to make copy for the journalists that fit the narrative. It's a vicious, vicious circle. So um, government leaders ranked the lowest in trust among nine groups uh, um, below the journalists. And uh, the most trusted, although not completely because the science has been corrupted by the wokeism, were still the scientists uh, at 75%. So uh, the lack of trust in journalists is indicative of of the Ottoman trust barometer is found uh, to be a a, a lack of trust in the culture at large. the, the surveyed people thought that the media is a dividing force in society. Now, you know that YouTube has permanently taken the, my channel down. They consider me to be the dividing force in society. Uh, I'll let you be your own judge of that. Um, I, don't, I don't get it. You know, me, the word Scott Files is a dividing force force in society, you know, run it like a classroom. Uh, Hey, if you're a liberal and you want to, and you never do, the liberals never contact me and want to be on the show. I've invited Mark Sexton. Um, You know, no, I'd have to go rope him like a calf to bring him on. Um, They're not interested in debating or uh, perhaps uh, being challenged or they're interested in dominating with their point of view. We saw a classic example of it in this dispute over single member districts. Um, and they already have talked about, you know, putting the thing back on the ballot when they could have put on the ballot forever. They just didn't because they didn't think anybody would ever dispute them. Um, so it's a kind of a fake news world out there. Uh, the study polled over 36,000 people and uh, um, over 28 different countries. And that averaged about 1,150 respondents per country. So uh, that was pretty interesting. I thought it uh, con- uh, uh, it uh, pretty much stuck with what I I, uh, I thought was uh, the case. And I think if you all keep coming back to the Ward Scott files, 
is because you trust them. Uh, you trust them to be um, um, either, uh, if I tell you it's my opinion, I'll tell you it's my opinion, and you can discount it. Or if we have something that's based upon documentation, we put that documentation out on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. I checked it out the other day. It's about 10 pages of items out there uh, for you to back up our opinion, for you to see where we got our opinion from. Um, the, the whole situation that's going on is, um, uh, is, is, is really heating up. And when I get back from our break here in the bottom of the hour, I'm going to talk with you about how this Eon Milheis has started out slamming uh, DeSantis already because they, and you can check this out on the Vox publication digital, and I'm just going to abbreviate it for you, but you'll see uh, that it is indeed uh, kind of strange. So let's take a break at the bottom of the hour for Ward's weather and we'll be right back. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Uh, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files here. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave. And uh, our awards weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Well, 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 be glad you are not in Mammoth Lakes, California. And by the way, 
Uh, we're climbing up here into a pretty warm day. Uh, we'll be into the low 70s probably today. And I think we're kind of past the cold snap here. But if you were in Mammoth Lakes, California, my friends, uh, Mammoth Lakes, California, since November 2nd, has received 375 inches of snow. Um, the town, in just uh, in a week since January 9th, has been inundated with 119 inches of snow. That's almost 10 feet of snow, and it's buried the resort town. Now, as for skiers, buddy, we are loving that. And, you know, I'm a former skier, but I've skied a lot 20, 25 years out there. And, man, I can tell you, when snow like this comes along, if you can get up the highway and get into the mountains, uh, get there and worry about getting out of there later. Um, Mammoth Lakes is no newcomer to winter weather, um, but this is a, a big deal there even for them. Uh, the sidewalks in Mammoth Village are heated, by the way, and they can't even keep up with the snow. They're covered even though they're heated sidewalks with one and a half feet of snow. Right. Um, so uh, even on um, three-day weekend with Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the resort town was, of course, filled with skiers and snowboarders who were making their way up the mountain. So some people love blizzards. You know, the old sailor adage is there never was an ill wind that didn't blow somebody a good. I have always, always remembered that. I think it's one of the truest things that was ever said. And it's said by the seafarers, there never was an ill wind that didn't blow somebody a good. So the winter storm that's blanketing the Rockies and the Plains and the upper Midwest uh, is a good deal for the people who love to get out there in the snow and have a great time. Of course, when the weather comes across the states in the form of tornadoes, that's an entirely different story, my friends, as you know. Well, 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 check my chat view here. Uh, Say hello to everybody. So I was just telling uh, my students here, um, if you're just checking in, uh, the, the, the impact of really what's going on uh, with um, the fear that DeSantis may actually become a viable candidate. And uh, this guy named Ian Milhouse, who is a Duke graduate with all the fanfare and honors, who is a liberal reporter for Vox, which is a digital online has written that uh, 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 the, DeSantis is responsible for a moral panic over the critical race theory. Uh, and what really brought the, the hounds in on DeSantis this time is DeSantis is being accused of trying to transform a new college uh, uh, into something like Hillsdale College. Now, I think it's so interesting how Milhuis has framed this. He calls New, How New College a liberal bastion in the South. I went over this with you all uh, a few shows ago. I know New College very, very well. I have a friend who is a professor there, or was. He may be retired. I remember when New College was formed. I went through the original uh, mission statement of Santa Fe College when it was first formed. And for this to be called New College a liberal college is a sad Thing for a guy like Mill Heist to write because it was a thinking college that tried to synthesize the silos in a curriculum rather than separate them. Most universities isolate thinking into 
majors and you have a major and you pull on the rope in your way. I have a major, I pull on the rope in my way. And maybe I'm a chemist and maybe you're a uh, English major or whatever. And we go try to excel in those particular silos, if you will, not conversing with each other. New college tried to take those silo walls down and cross-reference curriculum as we did at Santa Fe when we first started the college. It is a very, very difficult thing to do in formal education because formal education is done on the industrial model where you take credits, accumulate them, just as if you were building cars, or accumulating products. And those credits, I used to joke with my students, uh, you go to school not to get an education, but you go to school to get a grade, to get a degree, to get a job, to get a car. Education is the last thing you care to get. One of my colleagues used to joke that an education is the only thing the students get that they never take back. Every other product that you get that you don't like, you return it. But if you get a lousy education, you just run with it and never return it. Um, this is kind of the mentality. So New College started out being a place that was going to be different. And it gradually slipped away and became one of these progressive, ideologically driven institutions. And what DeSantis did was put conservative people on the board. And now he's accused of wanting to turn it into something like Hillsdale. You need to research Hillsdale. It takes no federal money. It is a marvelous college in Michigan. Mar I support Hillsdale College. I contribute to Hillsdale College. I have been to a uh, forum where the president of Hillsdale College uh, came and, and spoke. A wonderfully open-minded, educated man who uh, they, uh, teaches people at the Hillsdale, check it out, to think, to be well-rounded, uh, to be uh, not driven by silo education. And now the press has come along and tried to pit New College against Hillsdale as if Hillsdale were something wicked. It's nuts. And most people out there, including many of you listening to me now, wouldn't know the difference until I explain it to you. Taking a sip of my coffee there. Um, now this guy, Milheis, uh, says that uh, um, much of DeSantis' agenda, he calls this an agenda, violates the First Amendment. The government may not punish its critics for their speech. Well, I went through this thing. It's out on the Ward Vought Bulletin Board. This crap that's over here in the music department, where you have people who are being forced to admit that they are a racist or they don't get any jobs at the university. It's out on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. Go take a look at it. And then, of course, uh, this guy Milheist says that this is a way of terrorizing instructors with vague laws. All I can say to you is get ready for this. As the scientist becomes more and more of a possible presidential candidate, he didn't even say he was, you're going to see more and more of this nitpicking of him. So uh, another thing that Milhouse drags through this article is DeSantis' attack on Disney. And um, he, Milhouse says that Florida isn't required to maintain Reedy Creek Improvement District. Well, you know, hey, why should the taxpayer give Disney 
a tax break when Disney is going to turn around and attack the taxpayers who don't agree with this LGBTQWXYZ policies, etc. So isn't there any unfairness in that? So DeSantis is not saying you can't do business, Disney, in the state of Florida. You just can't get any tax breaks. You brought it on yourself, Disney. So this is the whole problem that's going on right now with people who are don't-tells. Don't tell me what to do, you ideologically driven uh, bureaucrat. They even, Hill Milheis even compares, uh, mentions a colleague of his named Zach Bochamp, whom I haven't checked out, who has compared DeSantis to the Hungarian dictator, Viktor Orban. Viktor Orban has said, among other things, our borders are real borders. Don't tell me I have to have open borders. Well, I just want to let you know, students, you be aware. I don't want you to be caught by surprise. Now, there is a battle. And by the way, I'll, I'll cover this quickly with you. It's also going on in the medical school. I'm looking for somebody in the medical world who can flesh this story out. But I just, this, this is something. Texas A&M. School of Medicine. You know what it's done? It has removed photos of white male alumni as an example of its institutional commitment to, don't make me say it, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, the institution, in a response in a survey completed for the Association of American Medical Colleges last year, said its organization was going to emphasize diversity, inclusion, culture, and equity inventory. And uh, this survey detailed a number of institutional commitments to what's shortened to DEI. And uh, that is what they are now emphasizing in the medical school. The school also bragged to the American Medical Association that a faculty member of color said the medical school communicates too much to students, faculty, and staff about its formal uh, uh, policies related to diversity, inclusion, and equity. And um, 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 some people were indeed don't tells. I'm here to get a medical school education. Now, this medical school has over 650 students and is ranked 80th best medical school in uh, the heritage. Foundation says, um, you know, it, it, it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere. I'm looking now for a physician who can come in and talk and will talk uh, uh, honestly and openly about this. But uh, it has nothing to do with the quality of the of the doctor and his expertise in healing what's bothering you for God's sakes, which is why you go to him. Well, you think things have gone crazy? I sort of saved up. Uh, I sort of squirrel this away till the end. I mean, I really couldn't believe it. Um, I'm going to take another sip of coffee. I really, I really couldn't believe it. Um, let me see what we got going on here. Okay, I'm just watching chat line here. 
How much, you know, how many of y'all know what the thin blue line is? All right, students, do you know what the thin blue line is? Well, in Los Angeles, I covered this last week with you a few days ago. There was a guy who ran from the cops. Uh, let's foreshorten the story and say he didn't comply. Ran from the cops who happened to be related to uh, the founder of Black Lives Matter. Okay? And he didn't comply. He didn't comply. So he was tased. And then he said, as he was being tased, they're trying to George Floyd me. Then he goes to the hospital and he dies. Well, once again, he's full of cocaine. Um, cocaine will make your heart go off the chart and, and, and um, how fast it will rev it up. And if you tase on top of the coke, then you've actually revved it up perhaps more. So whose fault is it? Well, it ends up, of course, being the cop's fault. And in retaliation, the Los Angeles Police Department has banned the thin blue line flag from public areas within police departments this week after, uh, after a complaint was lodged that the flag of the thin blue line represented violent extremist views, okay? Now, this is all part of the payback um, mentality, all part of the payback mentality. You know, the payback mentality says that the reason the dude ran in the first place was you made him run. He wasn't to run if you hadn't been such a bad person and you, the cop, were a bad person. He wasn't a bad person. You were. So it's payback time. So take down the thin black, uh, blue line. Take down the thin blue line. A community complaint was lodged about the blue line flag and said that it symbolized support for violent extremist views. And they work into this comment, such as those represented by the Proud Boys and others. The Proud Boys don't have a thing to do. Nothing, nothing with a thin blue line. Now, it'd be okay if it stopped there. But for the police department to kowtow to that type of crazy logic would be like me, the teacher, letting you, the student, get away with some goofball syllogism flaw. At least I should point it out to you, even though you might not hear it or learn from it, that you have a flaw in your logic. Now, some hear it and some don't. This flag has to be taken down from any public lobby. It cannot be in any memorials in public places. The thin, the blue line flag symbolizes to the extremist progressively backed complainers, non-compliers, get this, undemocratic, racist, and bigoted views. Now we're, you know, there's that great, great line in Hamlet. When Prince Fortinbras enters at the end of Act 5 and sees Hamlet dead, Claudius dead, Gertrude dead, Laertes dead, 
And he says, where is this site? And what he means is, what, what, what am I seeing? And the reply is, by Horatio, what is it you would see? What is it you would see? In other words, you see in this thin blue line, by the way, production, I'm getting a low bandwidth reading here. Um, you see what you want to see when you look at things. If you're not really trying to look objectively. So these people who are running from the law are seeing in the thin blue line flag a representation of an undemocratic, racist, and bigoted view organization, i.e. the police. So the L.A. Police Department chief ordered all flags with the symbol to be removed from the public areas. He threw the cops a kind of caveat. He said the cops can still display the flag in their workspace, in their locker door, or in their personal, personal vehicle, personal vehicle. Well, that is the guy who is the police chief knuckling under to the extremists. How would you like to be a cop on the beat and work for that chief in L.A.? You've got a tough enough job in L.A. You've got a tough enough job as a cop anywhere. But you got an especially tough job in L.A. And. Your own chief doesn't have your back. Your own chief doesn't have your back. Now, of course, the PBA fired back and complained about that. What does the thin blue line stand for? I want to just put this into the classroom discussion. The thin blue line flag features a black and white image of the American flag with a horizontal stripe beneath the field of white stars on the black background. The stars represent the citizenry who stand for justice and order. The darkness represents chaos and anarchy. And to many, a memorial to the law enforcement officers who have perished in the line of duty. The black and white flag with a thin blue line is seen on the Police Benevolent Association logo. The black, the thin blue line flag. Are you ready for this? By the extremist non-compliers, if you would, of law enforcement, have compared this flag to the Confederate flag. And they are saying that 
the thin blue line to African Americans is like waving the Confederate flag at them. I got to tell you, where is this site? What is it you would see? There you are. I don't, I've just got to kind of take a pause after that. I've got to take a pause after that. That's really, that's really quite a, quite a situation there. Quite a situation. How much time do I have left here, my friends? Uh, I guess I got enough time to go through this. I, I maybe don't. Um, I want to do it. I want to do it justice. Eight fifty-two. Uh, I guess I will. I guess I will start this story, and I may have to continue it. Um, in are you ready for this? The same territory that we're talking about, with Los Angeles. In San Francisco, and we'll start this story today. I'm going to have to take several sips of coffee to get through it because it's so flabbergasting to me. In San Francisco, a reparations committee has proposed, seriously proposed. Now, this is not some knee-jerk proposal. Are you ready for this, students? Paying each black long-time resident. Are you ready? Each now. Five million dollars and granting total debt forgiveness, total debt forgiveness due to decades assist systematic repression. This is an, uh, an organization called the San Francisco African American Reparations Advisory Committee. It advises the city on developing a plan for reparations for black residents. And it's just re released its draft report. Now, California never had, right, Ken, you just can't make this stuff up. California never had slaves. Never. But the Reparations Advisory Committee says this is a reparation to address the public policies explicitly created to subjugate Black people in San Francisco by upholding and expanding the intent and legacy of chattel slavery. Huh? Huh? Where's Michael Lucas? I'm taking another cup a sip of coffee, Mama. Huh? 
the advisory committee writes at a lump sum payment, watching my time here, would compensate the affected population for the decades of harm that they have experienced and will redress the economic and opportunity losses that black San Francisco's San Franciscans have endured collectively as a result of both intentional decisions, and here's the kicker, unintended harms perpetuated by city policy. So you have to pay even for an unintended harm, whatever that might be. It sounds like it can be just about anything. To be eligible for the program, the applicant must be 18 years old and have it. And how in the world could you have suffered, by the way, years of denial when you're only 18? When you're only 18? What about if the program started at age 70? To be eligible for the program, the applicant must be 18 years old and have identified as Black or African American on public documents for at least 10 years. So from the time you were eight years old, according to the logic of this eligibility requirement, you've been shafted. I'm going to take this up some more. I'm going to run out of time to do it justice. I'm just, I'm going to keep this. I'm going to come up again with it. You're going to, you're going to see me come back to this. I mean, this, this is, I get, don't believe for a moment that this won't come to Gainesville. Don't believe it for a moment. Gainesville copies everything the West Coast does. Everything the West Coast does. No, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I'm going to cover it some more. We're going to run out of time for me to do it justice. The big payback. The big payback. $5 million to every single Black residents. Of course, Lloyd. Lloyd, the first thing that comes to my mind is when my father came back from World War II, Lloyd. He didn't get paid anything. Nothing. You talk about having suffered That's some real suffering. He didn't get paid anything. It's just amazing. Well, the only way you can do it is become one of the don't tells. You see how I put the whole story together today? Introduction, middle, and end. Become one of the don't tells. 
right? They don't worry about where the money comes from. It'll come from the taxpayer. Maybe you, right? Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.